Hello, and welcome to the Hello Judges podcast, sponsored by Taylors of Harrogate. I'm Will Woodhouse-Banks, and I love coffee competitions. This episode is also sponsored by Dane Law Coffee. Dane Law is a roastery set up to help demystify specialty and make it more approachable without losing the interesting stories behind the producers. Check out Dane Law at www.danelaw.coffee. My guest this week is David Jameson. David has made a name for himself in the industry over the last 16 years, touching base and mastering so many areas of the industry. He's had some flaming hot rides and victories in Coffee and Good Spirits, and he loves a good chat. The weight of this podcast is heavy, the body is juicy, and there is a long, clean finish. Please enjoy. Welcome to the podcast, Dave Jameson. Thank you very much. It's great to be here. Uh, founder of uh, Dane Law Coffee, Q yes. Grader. 2014 UK Coffee and Good Spirits Champion, 2016 UK Coffee and Good Spirits Champion, World Coffee and Good Spirits Finalist, Coach of the 2017 World Champion, and a former World Coffee Events Technical Judge. All correct. Yes. Hi. Uh, All those things I have done. Yeah, that's that's pretty cool. Yeah, it it sounds quite good when someone reads it all out at the beginning of a podcast, doesn't it? It's, It's really easy to forget um all of those things and yeah no it, it sounds amazing to hear all those things listed next to my name so thank you very much yeah a very storied career in uh the coffee world uh anything else that i've missed out uh, i'm a world coffee events all-star um, oh, yeah i i um i have emceed at um world coffee events events and uh, and also other coffee competitions beyond the sphere of wce yeah um I was a judge at the English Aeropress Championship. Um, nice. I I did a bit of emceeing for the Cup Tasters Championship at the World Championships in Budapest. Um, yeah, I, it's it's great. You know, I feel really privileged to have had so many opportunities thrown my way. It's it's superb. Great. And like on this podcast, we we can talk about any and all coffee competitions. Like it's not sponsored by WCE. There's nothing along those lines, um, which I'm I'm sure you'd be relieved to hear. Um, <laughs> we're just going to be completely open and, you know, yeah. easy flowing. No, cool. So how are you doing today, Dave? Are you in your new roastery right now? No, I am still in my uh, home office right now. So uh, this was my roastery until uh, a couple of weeks ago. So you can still see some paraphernalia knocking about in the background there. Uh, but this area was full of green coffee until a couple of weeks ago. Right. Um, and that trolley uh, had my roaster on it. Um, and I've now moved into a purpose-built, well, purpose-built is a bit of a stretch, a, a, <laughs> a, a more purpose-built unit. Um, so I was in the roastery this morning. I popped home to um, uh, to do this call because I have heating in my house and I don't have heating in the roastery. Excellent. <laughs> is the uh, the trolley leftover legacy from competition days or was it purpose-bought for roasting? No. 100% that is a legacy competition trolley. That is my trolley from 2015 onwards. And it's a good thing to start talking about, actually, because uh, trolley politics is one of those things that you would never expect to be a thing. But backstage at a competition, you have got your little bit of table that you need to put your stuff on. Uh, and any advantage you can get is an advantage that you need to take. So I had my own trolley because it meant that I could set my trolley up how I wanted to, when I wanted to. I wasn't relying on the last competitor finishing to get hold of their trolley so that I could then load my trolley up 
I could have it all set up how I wanted to, and I had more space to store my things on. So yeah, I invested, I can't remember how much it was, in a trolley uh, in 2015 during the competition season, just to give me that little bit of competitive advantage. Yeah, no, I suppose it's quite a good thing that's not often or maybe not ever talked about, but having your own trolley is super useful. Like, I took my own trolley to the uh, Manchester Heat of the Bristol Championship this year, and, like, you know, it's busy, and there might not be much space backstage, and I was just there in the audience with my trolley, like, unpacking, and it takes a lot of stress out of competing if you know you've got everything already. Yeah, and honestly, anything you can do to reduce your stress whilst competing is worth doing. Um, I used to do quite a lot of um, mindfulness and um, visualisation. So I would sit silently backstage uh, with my eyes closed, walking through the routine in my head. And I'd even do the hand gestures. So I'd be sort of like yeah, shaking and like doing all the hand gestures whilst I was um, visualising what I was going to do. Uh, so anything you can do to reduce your stress in those moments before competition is, is critical. So yeah, I have my own trolley. Excellent. So how did you get started in competitions? Like what sort of kicked it off for you? Well, back in the, uh, back in the murky days of 2013, um, I was working for a coffee company and their head of coffee, Q Grader, was quite involved in the judging setup. And they needed new judges, as coffee competitions almost always do. And so they recruited me to um, start judging. I went up there. Yes, so 2013, I was just getting into judging. um, Found that I really enjoyed it and found that I was actually doing okay um, as well. But one of the things I found uh, as a shortcoming was a lack of empathy with the competitors because I had never competed. So 2014 rolled around and I decided I wanted to enter a competition. I thought this would be a really good experience for me. I will have a much better view on how to judge competitors if I have entered a competition and done that. So um, I signed up to Coffee and Good Spirits. Coffee and Good Spirits, if you're not familiar with it, um, is a competition that combines coffee and alcohol. You have to create your own cocktails made of coffee and alcohol, and you have to prepare an Irish coffee. So I went away, did some practice, came back with a really good Irish coffee and one other cold cocktail that I could do. And this was literally the only cocktails I could do at this point. Um, And I'd been working um, for a specialty coffee roaster for three months at this point. Entered the competition and to the surprise of absolutely everybody, I won it. And so here I am, I can only make two cocktails um, and I've only been working for a specialty roaster for three months. And I'm on my way to the world championships in Melbourne where I'm expected to deliver more cocktails than that and know what I'm talking about and so suddenly I had this ramp up of learning where I had to become world class overnight and that doesn't happen so I I didn't do so well in Melbourne I still finished ninth so a top 10 finish in my second ever top 10 finish in the world in my second ever coffee competition I was quite pleased with Um, and then I just got on this journey to learn more about it and find out how to how to be a better competitor uh, and that's what pushed me on to keep learning and keep growing uh, yeah. and it's, it's it's been a really fulfilling journey i've 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 got a lot from competitions and um, there's no denying how much competitions have influenced my career influenced my life and how important they've been to me yeah like there's no doubt that competition definitely acts as a pressure cooker for accelerating you know personal growth and skills for anyone who competes yeah i completely agree and when you're on that stage and it's just you 
and the judges and the audience you absolutely have to know what you're talking about so you have to get under the skin of whatever it is you're presenting whether that be an irish coffee or a signature drink that you've built yourself or an espresso from a particular producer you have to know everything about that yeah for sure um aside from the rapid advancement of skills what other benefits to individuals do you think there are from competing there are so many things that you pick up as part of coffee competitions. So there's the advancement of skills, there's the confidence of presentation, there's a level of organization as well that's required because the logistics that go into a competition are insane. You know, we spoke about the trolley, which is just one example of how you need to prepare yourself. But you know, I competed in 2016, I was in the World Championship in Shanghai. And to get me to the World Championship in Shanghai, I needed five suitcases. I was traveling on my own and I had five full-size suitcases to take with me. Um, and I landed in Shanghai. It was a long flight. I was really tired. Um, I got off the plane and my luggage didn't follow me. And I'm there in Shanghai. I don't speak a word of Chinese. I have a hotel booking for the night, but I don't know how to get to the hotel. And I have no luggage at all. And so I, I eventually found myself in a taxi, which was way more expensive than it needed to be, in my hotel room two days before a world championship with absolutely nothing. So I didn't even have a spare pair of pants, let alone <laughs> a clever dripper or a bottle of whiskey. Um, so fortunately, my luggage did arrive before the competition started. But, you know, then trying to manoeuvre all of that stuff from my hotel room to the event and back again every day. It's just a nightmare. And all of these kind of hidden logistical costs go on in the background. Yeah. And actually that was really useful for 2017 when I coached the world champion Martin Hudak, because I knew how stressful that had been for me to try and organize. And so as part of his coaching team, I took on all of that responsibility. So Martin didn't need to worry about where his luggage was gonna be or how his coffee was going to get turned up or who was making his cold brew all of those things were done for him so he could just focus on getting on stage and performing yeah amazing like being a successful competitor uh, the majority of the time is about having an amazing team around you yeah absolutely couldn't agree more so um being involved with competitions has that and you know being successful in these competitions has that opened many doors for you career-wise or other opportunities yeah absolutely and I, you know, I don't think it would be fair for me to say that um without the competitions without the success i've enjoyed in those competitions i definitely wouldn't be where i am so i have had job opportunities that have come up because people have seen me uh performing I've had job opportunities that have come up because people have known who I am because I have performed in competitions. Um, and without the competition influence, I don't think that would have happened for me. Um, it's a really competitive industry coffee, particularly when you get into the kind of back of house, roasting, coffee selection, quality control, um, sourcing side of things. Those bits are really difficult to, uh, to, to find good successful roles in and actually things like the competitions become increasingly important to differentiate yourself from other people in those spaces so yeah. i don't i don't think without my competition history i would have got the jobs i've had in the past and those jobs have shaped who i am have shaped what i do and dane law my roasting business i have launched off the back of the experience i've had as a result of the jobs i've done in the industry 
which I think I've got because of the competition success. So I you, I can't do anything but boil it down to that being the kind of the, the genesis of my success. Amazing. Yeah, I, I think um, there was a, a Tampa tantrum where I remember Dale Harris talked about his experience after winning the world championship. And um, Stephen Layton was like, okay, so like I assume with all this success, you're going to go somewhere else now. And Dale was like, no, I like I like being it has been. And there's, you know, no doubting that doing these things does open doors for people. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, yeah, it's a, a, in, interesting where that story ended. Actually, with Stephen Layton leaving Hasbeen and Dale still being there. Yeah, very interesting. Um, but I feel like that's a story for a different podcast. Probably, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, for me, it's very difficult um, leaving one company where you've had great success and moving to a different one. And um, you know. I often liken the coffee competitions to being a little bit like running a Formula One team. There's no one really making money out of running coffee competitions, um, yeah. certainly certainly as a roaster. It's an investment that you're making in your marketing as much as anything else. It gives you credibility. It gives you presence. It gives you something to talk about that's a bit different with your audience. So it's, it's really positive from all of those angles. But I don't think running competition teams as a roaster brings you back a return on that investment in terms of sales i no. think it is an investment in in presence positioning and awareness yeah, and having absolutely. worked for someone who's who's invested in me has given me superb coffees and helped me to travel the world and compete in coffee it was a really difficult decision when i left uh, union who i'd who i won my championships with um and moved to grumpy mule but yeah, a big part of that for me was geography. So I needed to be back up north. And so that's that's why that's one of the reasons why I moved. Yeah. Um, but what I wanted to do was kind of emulate that success with Grumpy Mule. And it's amazing how the differences in team structure, coffee availability, coffee quality have such a big impact on how you perform. Um, you know, and there are you know loads of things that I took from um, my time at Union that's been really valuable for me loads of things I took from my time at Grumpy Mule that were really valuable for me. Um, but one of the things I was never able to replicate was that kind of competition success. I never won another competition after I left Union, and I still really wish I had done. Now, there were some external factors as well, which may have influenced that. There's this fella who occasionally throws the odd coffee cocktail together, won a couple of world championships. He was competing in the UK at the same time as my Grumpy Mule years. And so it's some pretty stiff competition from Dan Fellows, and you know beating down fellows on his best day is a tough ask um so you know maybe that was it maybe if i competed yeah. against someone other than dan fellows maybe i would have come out with some championships from Olympic mule but i didn't and that team change that availability of coffee trying to find new coffees that will match up to what i'd used in the past that was really difficult to to keep that consistency going yeah arguably um if dan fellows didn't have somebody like you to compete against um then that might not have pushed him to the level that he reached um i was talking about this the other day that having like such a good culture for competition only you know produces better national champions right i completely agree i'm really proud actually of how the uk has come on um over the last few years with particularly coffee and good spirits so if you wind the clock back to 2013 there were three or maybe four people i think competing in coffee and good spirits in the uk yeah. 
2014, there were four of us. Um, and now the coffee, the competition sells out on the, the first 10 minutes of being released. Yeah. We've built a, a competition in the UK that's credible, that is respected, that is admired. I remember James Hoffman back in 2014 saying, this is embarrassing. There's no one competing in Coffee and Good Spirits. We should just knock it on the head and stop doing it. And I took that personally. Like, no, I am going to go and make this the best competition we can have. And I, I pushed really hard in those early couple of years to try and grow awareness, popularity and respect for that competition. Having that really stiff competitive uh, nature with a, a rival, a stiff rival. And Dan and I get on really well. We're good mates. Uh, he describes me as his best frenemy. Um, I describe him as my nemesis. You know, we have this really kind of positive uh, competitive relationship but out of that um competition uh you had me and dan competing in the uk uh martin hudak who was the 2017 world champion competed for slovakia but was based in the uk uh rusty who's um the guy who's won coffee masters he's yeah. won coffee and good spirits this year in the uk he's come out of that scene as well he used to work with martin at the right. savoy um so it's all come out of the same kind of melting pot of people and of course, Dan has won the world championship two years in a row. Um, Martin won it before that. I was a finalist the year before that. Uh, Sang Ho Park, who was at Square Mile at the time, was a finalist oh, yeah. the year before that. The competition that we've, we've created from the UK has been really kind of up there. Um, Coffee and Good Spirits was dominated by Greek competitors for years. And it was a running joke that every year the winner would be a Greek competitor using 90 plus coffee. Um, and for years and years and years, that was the case. And when Martin finally did break that in 2017, we actually produced a kind of a limited edition packaging in the style of 90 plus with Martin's silhouette uh, spraying oh. champagne at the moment of victory. Um, so that's, that's how ingrained it was that the Greeks just won Coffee and Good Spirits every year. And through that kind of fierce competition um, in the UK with me and Dan and a load of others besides, um that's how i think we've pushed the standard and the quality of coffee cocktails in the uk as high as they have got and they've become mainstream they've become really popular we've achieved what we set out to 10 years ago which is that we've made coffee cocktails better as a result of pushing promoting and being behind them and it's worked yeah there's been a huge shift absolutely um so thinking about coffee and good spirits and world championships or whether it be national aside from your own and martin's routines do you have any memorable coffee and good spirits routines that you enjoyed that have stayed in your heads uh it's a funny thing i spent years really trying to not watch coffee and good spirits routines because i wanted to focus solely on what i did because what everybody else did wasn't really important to me. I had to do the best I could. Yeah. So I, I spent years avoiding them and just not paying attention. Um, and there's been a degree of kind of convergent evolution that's happened as a result of that, because great ideas that have happened have happened several places at the same time. So I remember one year turning up with the same rum as Dan, because we'd both used coffee from El Salvador and had both chosen uh, an El Salvadorian rum to pair with it because it made sense and it was totally unintentional. I had no idea that's what he was doing. There was another year where we both used um, cinnamon to make fire because we both had the same idea at the same time. 
And so this convergent evolution meant that we were doing really similar things at the same time. One thing that does stick in my mind, which I think is, um, is kind of underused actually, 2014 world champion was Matt Perger from Australia. People will know from Barista Hustle. Yeah. Um, he was he's a kind of he was a professional competitor at the time. He'd won Brewers Cup. He'd come second in the World Barista Championship. He was the guy who popularised the use of the EK43 grinder, for example. Um, and I, I know the judge who actually judged him during that routine. And he got on stage and did his pre-stage inspection and said, "God." this idiot's forgotten to bring a grinder because he didn't recognize it because it was such an unusual thing at that point uh but matt's world championship routine in 2014 had some really unique features to it so he served a hot cocktail uh, which is mandatory in the early rounds but to heat his cocktail up what he did is he got a tamper um, and put a blowtorch to the end of it and heated this tamper up and it was a tamper on a big stick Uh, so he kind of welded a length of uh, rebar or something to this tamper and then he put a blowtorch on it to heat the bottom of the tamper up. And once the tamper was kind of glowing red hot, he put it into the vessel that his cocktail was in and used that to heat the vessel. And that was really spectacular. It was a really impressive showy thing because there's bubbles everywhere and you've got this fire on stage. And um, I've never seen anyone do anything like it before or since. And it's, it is a legitimate cocktail technique, uh, but you'd usually use a, a poker like you'd have in the house for the fire. Yeah. Um, and Matt had adapted to this by using a tamper instead. That was really memorable. Um, you know, some of the other competition routines, I remember, again, going back to my mate Dan Fellows, uh, his 2016 uh, World Barista Championship routine was just beautiful. Um, he had this gorgeous soundtrack, um, uh, Sigur Ross or something, and the, the music kind of swelled and rose up at the climax of his routine as dry ice spilled out across the stage the whole thing was poetic it was a beautiful beautiful routine and those those are the ones that really stick in the mind yeah the ones that, that bring a lump to the throat and a tear to the eye they're just wonderful to watch 2016 was uh dublin right yes i'm pretty sure it was dublin um yeah i think i think that was that was dan's wbc year nice yeah so um which kind of segues quite nicely into the fact that i remember you were a tech judge that year at the world championships yeah i was um i did i I tech judged at the world championships that year and i saw some tremendous routines that year as well levels of kind of technical precision that i didn't know were achievable um and some superb competitors i judged um len butler from the states uh i judged uh, erna tosberg from uh from germany uh, and those those stuck in my mind for being particularly technically proficient. Um, yeah. I, I think in a, a slightly, um, I look back on it now and it's slightly embarrassing. The notes I wrote on Erna's score sheet were uh, ruthlessly proficient or ruthlessly technically proficient or something like that. Um, and yeah, I really kind of tapping into that kind of German stereotype of efficiency yeah. and, and so on, uh, which feels a bit embarrassing now, but uh, it seemed okay in 2016. Yeah. So how was your um, your experience of judging at the world level? So one of the things that I found in my early career, um, particularly when judging, was how challenging it was to be put in front of people who were clearly streets ahead. Uh, so I remember judging Dale Harris in my first competition year and being like, Guy, I, I can't judge this fella. He's so much better than I am. How do I judge him? And we did a judge's workshop and he asked me a question and I was like, I can't answer that. You're Dale Harris. By the time I'd got to the 2016 
World Championship. I'd just competed in Shanghai a few months earlier. I was pretty confident in my own abilities. And I was there as a world judge, as a world finalist. I felt like I was, I was okay to be on stage with these guys. Uh, but still, the level was just something else. And I remember marking competitors' score sheets, taking them backstage and having more experienced judges than me gently reminding me of what the rules were, gently reminding me of where the kind of score benchmarks were, gently steering me to adjust my scores slightly to put them back in line with where they needed to be. And that wasn't something I was particularly comfortable with because I was quite confident in myself at that point. Yeah. And I, I knew that I was going to be bringing marks down for things that I'd observed. I knew that I would be you know, taking stuff out of my score sheets that actually I was, I was quite happy to stand by. Um, and one of the competitors actually published his score sheets afterwards. And he was one of the guys where I'd kind of had to round down because my scores weren't in line with what everybody else had experienced. Um, and I was a bit nervous about that, but he was actually quite positive and he was quite pleased with the feedback he'd had. He was quite happy that I'd gone and, you know, um, taken the time to give him detailed technical feedback on his performance. So it was the right thing to do in the end, but I was actually, I wasn't very comfortable with it at the time. Yeah. And the reminder that despite being a world finalist, despite having the credibility I felt like I needed to be there, there were still more experienced judges who'd seen way more routines than me, who knew what they were doing. That kind of uh, reset me and put me back into the right position, the right kind of frame of mind. Great. Um, so something I don't know the full story of, and um, more than happy to edit it out if uh, it's something that you don't want to talk about, uh, but I believe there was a bit of um, a disagreement between yourself and uh, whether it be WCE or SCA. Uh, do you want to fill us in a little bit on that? Yeah, I can talk a little bit about this. Um, I don't I don't want to dredge it up too much because I'm really over it and I really have got to the point of just not caring. Um, so I think it would have been the 2018 championship, which took place in, I think, September 17. Um, I got this routine together, which I was really proud of. It was immensely technically difficult and complicated. And I had to trim the runtime down by about five minutes because it was so overstuffed with stuff. And I had, as I always do, I had my soundtrack lined up with musical cues. And so I knew what the time was going to be based on what the soundtrack was doing. And I knew that I was getting to the end of my time and I was really, really running short of time. Um, and so the finale to this routine was um, I had two blowtorches set up on stage with fire shooting out of them as I cascaded cinnamon uh, through the flames over the top of my drinks, which shot up in gushes of flame and was spectacular. It was great. Um, so I did this. Fire went out, called time, and I realised that my drinks weren't in the right place on the table because I'd done all of this over a tray and I hadn't put them directly in front of the judges. So after I just called the time, picked the drinks up, put them in front of the judges. Now, absolutely an error. Definitely got that wrong. Definitely wasn't the right thing. Should have left them where they were. Judges could have reached them. Wasn't a big problem. The conflict arose fundamentally as a result of a difference of opinion in the interpretation of the rules. So I knew that I'd made a mistake here. I knew that there was going to be some kind of sanction, some kind of penalty. Um, but I felt like the routine was strong enough and had done well enough that I should still be able to make the final. Yeah. So I was, I was 
quite shocked when I didn't. And when I went back to get my feedback later on, I was very shocked indeed as to what had happened. And basically what they did is they, they decided that those drinks hadn't been served. And there's no definition of what serving drinks is in the yeah. rules. Um, and there's no guidance as to what the penalty might be if you didn't serve a drink in the rules. But the penalty they applied is that they just didn't score those drinks at all. None of the right. technical, none of the sensory. Wrote off half of my score sheet, which meant it was impossible to reach the final. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was quite angry about that because you've got judges here who aren't competing and in that case haven't comp- competed. And you've got judges here who have taken a decision that they're going to take an established competitor who's invested a lot of time, money, energy and knowledge into this routine and punish them in such an over-the-top fashion that they will not compete any further in that routine. And I was, you know, I, I felt like it was heavy-handed. I felt like it was over the top. But more than anything else, there was no precedent to do that. There was no guidance at all as to why that should be the case. Uh, so I appealed it. Um, because by this point, I'd already decided I wasn't competing again. And I know that appealing a judgment is a negative thing. Loads of marks in the score sheet are around attitude and your presence as an ambassador. And that arguing with the WCE is not something that is good or viewed positively in that environment. So yeah. I knew at this point, if I appealed it, I'm finished. There's never going to be a way back for me. So I appealed it. And to the surprise of nobody, my appeal was rejected. And it went straight through to, you know, I, I ended up having a, a a team's call with the kind of the heads of specialty coffee associations competitions arm but it was rejected i accepted their rejection and uh in turn rejected them um but you know it's one of those annoying things there was an error made should have done something differently but i didn't feel like the punishment was appropriate to to what had happened in that in that day and what i wanted was to be able to be in the final with my routine prepared and be able to take on uh, the best in the world head to head and see how I got on with that. And I didn't get that opportunity, which still kind of stings a little bit, to be honest. Yeah. Well, I think that's, um, you know, a fair representation. Like I hadn't heard the full story. And um, it's really interesting. Some of the points that you made um, are other like things I've talked about with other people, like in the rules, in the Barista Championship, I feel like adding a glossary to the end of it with definitions of, yeah. you know, what what is meant by a, is this served? Like, is putting it on yes. the judge's table enough? Do you have to put it right in front? Like, I'm coaching a potential future competitor at the moment. Um, we were specifically looking at that. Like, what counts as being served? So, so I think... I, I remember, again, in sort of 13, 14, 15... Uh, there being a massive debate about whether the language you used was correct for British Championship. So you talk about flavour descriptors. And if you describe something as having lemon acidity, uh, that wasn't the flavour descriptor. Um, despite yeah. the fact that if you if you walk up to someone with a lemon meringue pie and say to them, this has got lemon acidity, they'll know it tastes like lemon. Um, if you say that in a coffee competition, they don't know it tastes like lemon because lemon acidity is describing how high the acidity level is. Yeah. And I always thought that was unnecessarily um, uh, picky and also quite exclusionary to people who, were, who weren't competing in their first language. So yeah. if you were competing in a second language, if you were learning English to do that competition and you didn't know that nuance, that was going to count against you. So I never agreed with that rule. Um, and it's similar to this, you know, we've got ambiguity and there are 
errors in the rules and in the judging that that there isn't a contingency for. So there wasn't a precedent for what do you do if someone's moved their drinks after time. There just wasn't a precedent for it. Yeah. So I um, don't want to poke the flames, or um, I, I don't want, don't want to cancel anybody either. But um, I recall a certain UK barista championship final where the competitor called time with their sig, sig drinks still in their hands. And, Interesting. Uh, just you know, thought I'd uh, I'd let you hear that. In, that's an interesting point. Now, um, yeah, <laughs> I guess my response to that really is, who cares? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's all it's all water under the bridge. It's done. It's passed. Maybe uh, I, I don't know if that was before or after uh, my competition. So maybe they learned from my experience and applied a slightly more flexible approach. Who knows? Maybe. But, um, yeah. Um, what disappoints me most about this whole thing, to be honest, is the fact that. Um, yeah, I had the most to lose from this. I was the most upset by this happening. Um, and I kind of got to the point of acceptance, uh, moving on. And I, I really want to give something back again because I've got so much from these coffee competitions. I yeah. want to be able to contribute back again. And so, you know, I have volunteered in the past to do things with World Coffee events. Um, you know, they were, they were short of someone to help present once on a stage. And I volunteered to help them. And after initially saying, yeah, sure, they then went back and said, oh, no, we don't want you to do that. Some people are, some people backstage aren't happy with that. And again, I, I wanted to return to judging because that's where I started. That's what I did. You know, I, I was a judge before anything else. And so I, I said, you know, I'm, I'm available. I've got time. I, I can come and judge. And, um, you know, there are individuals still operating within the UK chapter of the coffee, goods, of the, of the coffee competitions uh, sector um who don't want me to be present they still hold grudges based on this competition that took place five years ago and i just think that's really sad it's yeah it's if i had the most to lose out of this i feel like i'm over it and i can move on i want to go back and contribute but i'm not allowed to i'm not able to go back and contribute because there are personal grudges still at play yeah and i just feel like that's really that's really not okay um, I feel like you should add to your LinkedIn bio, Dave Jameson, assumed troublemaker. <laughs> yeah, bet yeah, noir of the coffee cocktail competition world, yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so thinking about lightening things up and giving back, have you got any advice you'd give to anybody who's thinking about competing for the first time? <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, treat it as a learning experience. I would say uh, don't go in there planning to win a competition because every time I've gone in planning to win something, I haven't. And it's been far worse. It's been far harder and it's been much more disruptive. So go in there with an open mind as a learning experience. I think um, there is value in the judging. Although the judges are not flawless, although the judges don't get it right every time, the judges can give you good feedback that will help you. Um, become a better barista, become a better They're not perfect, but they will help you. Um, don't go into it thinking you're going to win because the vast majority of people who enter coffee competitions don't win them. Um, and be prepared for what that feels like because it sucks and it's really, really no fun. Not winning coffee competitions is one of the worst things in the world. Yeah, it definitely is. Like, um, 
I was talking to Paul Ross yesterday and we were talking about like at the world championship level, you know, what, 50 countries enter yeah. and um, 49 people are going to go home feeling sore. Yes. And all of those people have gone in there wanting to win that competition. Yeah. Uh, and it, it sucks when you don't. So, yeah, also kind of look at your other competitors. See who you gel with see who you connect with because you can make really great friendships out of competitions you know people for me like martin like dan they're guys i speak to all the time because i really value their friendships that we have cultivated as being competitors uh, and that's that's really important stuff um <laughs> practical things like um here's a website where you can go and buy tiny three centiliter bottles of spirits so you don't have to buy a full bottle to try a recipe out send me an email drop me a drop me a tweet i'll, I'll tell you everything on everything you need to know um get some get some help as well seriously because trying to compete on your own is impossible you need that team around you yeah so when i was in shanghai for example i was on my own uh, the sca didn't have budget to send anybody uh, my employer didn't have budget to send anybody i didn't have budget to bring anybody so i went to shanghai alone uh, and it was really hard and Find some help. Find some people who've got loads of money who want to come and help you. Good advice. Um, why do you think people compete, like, especially now in 2022? Why do people do it? I think there's a few people out there who want to compete because they want to show that they're the best. And unfortunately, most of those people aren't the best. So, you know, you know pretty much by definition, most of the people who try to be the best aren't. Um, so a load of people do it for that reason. Other people will want to promote a particular brand they're working with or a, a roast they're working for, and that's really valid. Some people want to learn. Some people want to get a bit more experience, a bit more knowledge, and that's tremendous. And some people are just born that way. Some people just have that itchy competitive streak. They can't, can't quit, can't give it up. You, know, you see them in um, kind of international competitions again and again and again, the same faces coming up because they just can't let it go. They can't drop it. They've just got to keep going. And I'm as guilty as anyone for that because you know, I bought a coffee um, to compete with um, and then the pandemic hit and it never got used. And it ended up being the coffee that uh, Aaron competed with uh, last year. Yeah. And he but got I was exceptional go scores with that coffee. That was a hell of a coffee, that one. <laughs> that was going to be my world championship coffee, but I never got there. But yeah, I, uh... I was ready to go back again. I've got 20 grams of that coffee in my freezer at home, actually. I'm just waiting for the right time. Um, actually, can I show you something? Yeah. I found this uh, in a warehouse that has been lost. This is my competition coffee from 2014. I was going to say, it looks like a geisha, right? Yeah, that is Lost Lahonis uh, Geisha, natural, uh, from 2014. So that coffee is now eight years old. Now, when you roast that coffee, if you cup it eight hours off roast, it's absolutely delicious. If you cup it 24 hours off roast, it's undrinkable. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, but I have a little little glimmer in the back of my head that that coffee, maybe nine or 10 years old, could be a competition coffee for me if I could roast it the morning of the competition or in the practice time before I go on stage. There was um, a com World Barista Championship competitor a few years ago, uh, I think Italian, Andre, I I'm not going to butcher his surname. And 
And Andre Ironman, I believe, who yeah. I think is Swiss, actually. Ah, yes. And um, he roasted his, I think it was the coffee, either for his espresso or his cig drink on an Akawa on stage during his routine, which is really interesting. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the other bit of advice I'd give people is steal other people's ideas because other people have really good ideas. Yeah. And it's a lot easier to steal half a dozen ideas from other people than to come up with your own. Yeah, do your homework. When I was yeah. competing, I watched so many videos from so many years, and I'm going. I'm going to definitely going to do that. I'm going to take a bit of that. I'm going to change that. Yeah, and do your works. homework and research is a far more professional way of saying steal other people's ideas yeah. than steal other people's ideas. So yeah, good work there. Well done. So um, two more scripted questions um, off topic from coffee and competitions. What's your guilty pleasure, Dave? Uh, my guilty pleasure is that when I'm traveling, uh, I drink Starbucks caramel lattes because uh, it's a good approximation of acceptable quality coffee when you can't get them. Uh, so if I'm on a long motorway journey or if I'm traveling through airports, uh, a Starbucks caramel latte is my guilty pleasure. And it's, there's some science behind this. So um, when you have really dark roast coffee, uh, what it does is it takes sweetness out. Uh, and replaces it with bitterness. So you need to do something to correct that. And Starbucks are really good at this because they correct that with syrup all the time. Caramel is a flavor that is found naturally in coffee. And so if you take a really dark roasted coffee that's lost its um, sweetness, rebalance it with a bit of sugar uh, and the flavor of caramel, you have something that tastes a little bit like decent coffee, even though it isn't. Although the raw materials for Starbucks are actually pretty good. <laughs> You know, Starbucks are just out here dishing out harmonious balance all down the motorways. And the beautiful flavours of pumpkin spice as you go. So, yeah, um, that's my guilty pleasure. I still drink Starbucks um, probably, I don't know, twice a month or something. Excellent. Uh, so what's next for you, Dave? What's uh, What are you excited about? What's coming up? So uh, Dane Law is um, growing. I'm about to launch my uh, special Christmas blend, which uh, I'm really excited about. I've got some really cool coffees coming in from producers that I've worked with in the past that are good friends. Uh, and I can't wait to get those out there and share those with people. So um, watch this space for more Dane Law stuff coming soon. Um, and hey, you know, if there's someone out there who wants to compete with an eight-year-old geisha, I've got some. Um, I don't really have time to compete myself, but you know, if there's someone out there who wants to come and work with me and run a competition with me, I'd love to have some someone chat uh, and, and help somebody out. So yeah, look out for Dane Law in a coffee shop near you soon. Uh, if you've got a coffee shop and you want some Dane Law in it, come and give us a shout. And uh, that's what I'm really excited about. Um, I'm, yeah, I'm loving having my own roastery. It's really cool to see my name above the door and kind of go in and know that it's it's my space to do what I want with and make my own stupid mistakes rather than uh, having to deal with someone else's stupid mistakes all the time. Amazing. It's um, really enjoyed chatting with you, Dave. Was there anything that you were hoping to talk about that didn't get brought up? No, I don't think so. I mean, uh, we've covered loads of stuff. Um, nice to kind of exercise those demons about 2017 because, uh, you know, I've, it's it's been a bit of a mysterious story out there. I'm quite happy to put that on record and you know, share that story. Um, no, I think it, I think it's, it's, it's good stuff. Looking forward yeah. to hearing the podcast when it comes out. It's been a really good chat. Thank you so much. No problem. Thank you very much for inviting me on. It's uh, It's been great. Great. Well, I'll catch you soon. Yes. Thanks, buddy. Enjoy the rest of your day. You too, mate. Speak to you later. Bye. Cheers. Bye. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Hello Judges. 
I really enjoyed talking with Dave about his competition experiences, and I think there was a lot of super useful insight into what it takes to succeed. My guest next week is Diana Johnston Ledesma from Sensit London and Saint Espresso and Roastery. I hope I pronounced her surname right. Diana, sorry if you're listening. Make sure you subscribe to stay up to date. We're on Spotify, Apple, all the usual podcast places. Just search Hello Judges Podcast. Or on Instagram, you can find us at Taylor's Discovery. It's been a pleasure to share this podcast with you today from the producing end in Yorkshire to your listening end, wherever you might be. Thank you. Time.